Welcome to the G3 Podcast. I'm Virgil Walker, and this is Scott Annual, and uh, we're back with another edition of this great podcast, and excited today to have a conversation around something that's been brewing now for, really, for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, as it relates to the issue of the Respect for Marriage Act. The uh, Disrespect the for Marriage disrespect Act. The Disrespect for Marriage Act, right, the No Respect for Marriage Act. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking about this topic almost for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first conversation I had about this uh, with the guys uh, from, you know, from, from, uh, from uh, fa- I believe it's family, family broadcast radio and just mm-hmm. connecting with them and just talking with them about, about issues of marriage. How should Christians view it? What should we, th- how should we think about it? And, and what I'm recognizing is that for Christians, and we were kind of talking about it off camera, um, the Overton window has really shifted. Yeah. With regard to this conversation. Um, and it started not just five years ago, not just since Obergefell, right? It, right? it started even farther back than that. I'll let you unpack that a little bit, but yeah. things have just just really have shifted. And, and now we're in a, in a time and uh, in, in a culture and a climate where it almost seems as if it would be unchristian. To, to stand up and say, you know what, we believe that marriage should be a covenant between a man and a woman, husband and wife, uh, in, in, a, in a committed relationship. Well, and so-called evangelical Christians are saying that. I know. I know. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. That's, I mean, th- so, so the Overton window has shifted to, yeah. to where it's now— It's moved so quickly. It's moved so quickly to where now, if you're a Christian and you're, and you're saying something that's contrary to— cultural norms it's seemed as it's it, it you know they want to act as if that's unloving right uh that's not christian right um i mean how how, how do we get there how did yeah. how did we move so far so quickly i mean yeah. or maybe or maybe it's not so quickly what yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts around yeah. that well uh i think you're exactly right i mean there's so much that has shifted on the topic of marriage mm-hmm. for so many years but even 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 before the founding of this country or even before the sexual revolution uh, what you see happening to marriage through the centuries, I think, is really important to to, to recognize, and and the, the, particularly the Christian approach to marriage or the Christian understanding of marriage. Uh, there's a there's a a, um, a really fascinating book uh, that I read a number of years ago called "From Sacrament to Contract" mm. that sort of traces this, mm-hmm. and what it shows is that you know during the medieval period there developed this theology of marriage as a sacrament. And this is one of the things, of course, that the Reformers objected to. It was one of the nine sacraments that the Reformers said, no, it's not a sacrament. Uh, So you see this happening as far back as Augustine. Augustine argued that there are three purposes for marriage, the first two of which we would fully agree with and the Reformers fully agree with. Uh, The first, he said, was um, that marriage exists for procreation, the second is that marriage exists to prevent lust. Okay, fine. Uh, and, well, that, that's kind of the first two uh, wrapped into one. The second is that it is agreement between two people. Okay, fine. But what is that? That'll, that'll come up. And then his third point was that it was a sacrament. So the reformers come along and, and they react against that. They all uniformly agree, no, there are only two sacraments, baptism and the table, marriage is not a sacrament. But they disagreed as to still the nature, because here, here's where it gets sticky. What's the relationship between marriage, the state, mm. the family, and the church? Mm, that's good. We have all these institutions. Yeah. And that have a vested interest and, in Yeah, in and how do, how do we play with this? Right. And so probably the most extreme reaction was Luther, mm-hmm. who basically said the church has no role in marriage. Mm. Marriage is simply under the purview of the state. Mm. 
Calvin in his early writings sort of sounded like that as well. But over time, Calvin shifted and and pretty much influenced the sort of reformed stream on this position, and which I think is the is the is the biblical position. But has not it does not characterize even how Christians view marriage today. Mm. What Calvin said is that. Yes, marriage does fall under the purview of government in terms of the civil aspects of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we think about today, you know, tax laws right, and, right. And, and protection of children and all these sorts <clears throat> right, of things. That, right. that falls under the state. But nevertheless, marriage is also very much tied in with the family. Mm-hmm. It, is the, it is ultimately the father of a young lady who hands over his leadership of right. a of a young woman right. to her husband. Right. So there's a there's a, a contractual thing that happens and a, a really a covenantal thing which is where Calvin gets right. between two families. Right. But then also marriage is before God. So certainly there is a religious component and while marriage is not a sacrament, it's it's still uh, something that that falls under the purview of church discipline. Mm-hmm. And so for a marriage ceremony to be in the witnesses of the of other members of the body of Christ right. makes sense as well. Right, right. So he's arguing that there's there's a connection to in all of these uh, all of these institutions which have been instituted by God. Um, and the, I think the most important point with Calvin, and again, this influences reformed thought on on this issue, is that he argued biblically speaking, marriage is a covenant relationship yes, between a, between a man and his wife. Yeah. And we see this all the way back in Genesis, yeah, right? And in yeah. God creating marriage, he he puts it in terms of this covenant relationship, uh, and and so it is not uh, it it is not simply a a contractual agreement. Right. It's a covenantal, covenantal agreement. There's a difference between a covenant and a contract. Yeah, I, I don't want to interrupt your thought. No, but go one for of it. one of the things that I try to do um, whenever you know at, whenever I was at, at the a church I was a part of there in Omaha, Nebraska, yeah. and and I was performing weddings. I tried to uh, to to unpack for for the you know the the bride as she was coming down the aisle, and and her father is giving her away. Yes. That that that's a symbol of of what you just stated. Absolutely. That that the father is now giving giving protective oversight. Uh, that that he had biblical responsibility to 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 uh, to hold to over to this man who's yep. now come in and said that he's willing to take that responsibility and care for the the, the daughter of, of, of that father. And so I, th- those elements, there's so many facets of a marriage ceremony that that really go over the head of people. And, and more times than not, what I'm getting, uh, if, if young people are even interested in marriage, yeah. is when they're walking through that process, they just want to get the ceremony over as quickly as possible right. to get onto the party. Go to the courthouse or, yeah. or to a church and just get it done. Yeah. yeah. And, and and the the only the only thing that, that's that's beneficial in that is the handful of them that even want to get married. Because what you right. really see now is is a lack of desire. My concern, Scott, is for you know for my kids is is that they'll see the value in actually having a marriage, yeah. right? Ha- having get, getting wedded to another, right? Mm-hmm. Making the decision. My son wants to marry a woman and take her in a, in a covenantal union for their lives and for their family and for their their their, their, their progenity. Yeah. And so th- those are the kinds of things that I'm hopeful for now. And and you seeing you're seeing less and less of. Right. So the kinds of things that we're talking about are almost are foreign to the average, you know, young person now who's who's out there thinking about courting or dating or yeah. whatever they're calling it. And it's because days. of exactly what we're talking about is we we've, re, we've redefined terms and we don't any longer understand. Right. Uh, this is so important and especially this this 
aspect of, it's not even just two, it is two individuals covenanting together, but there is this family thing that's happening. I, I had to kind of wrestle through this several years ago. My youngest sister uh, got married mm-hmm. and she and her fiance decided that they wanted to do a destination wedding. Mm-hmm. So they were going to do it in Key Largo and they wanted me to perform the marriage. Mm-hmm. So I had to stop for a moment and think, okay, number one, it's not in a church and number two, I'm not their pastor, so what do I feel about this? But the more the more I thought and studied this, I realized, well, really, though, a ma- marriage is not, it's not a sacrament. Mm-hmm. It's not even a church ordinance. Like a, a, mm-hmm. a wedding ceremony is not a worship service. Right, right. I've heard some pastors describe it that way, and I know why they do is because they're trying to maintain a reverence right. and that sort of thing. Right. But it really isn't a worship service because the problem is if it is— and if you hold to the regulator principle, then there's a lot of things you ought not to be doing in a wedding ceremony, right. but it's not. Right. Now, again, I agree with Calvin. It makes sense for a pastor to officiate, uh-huh. and you want your church family there. Yes. So like for my sister, for example, there were members of their church, church. there. Right. But ultimately, it is, a, it is a covenant between two individuals where a father – it's a family thing. Uh-huh. So my sister – you know, my father – handed her over to her now husband. Mm-hmm. I'm her brother, but I'm also a pastor, So there's and, and she had members of her church there. So mm-hmm. it is before God, right. and that makes sense too. Um, but, it, but I think, ironically, even today, uh, even Baptists, we sometimes have a sacramental view of marriage. Mm. Uh, even you think about it, so you know the, this book I was talking about, talking about the Anglican view, the Anglican view of marriage was sort of a conglomeration of all these, still sort of retained some of the sacramental stuff, but didn't view it as a sacrament. Um, but you think about it, most marriages today, even in Baptist churches, what liturgy do we tend to use? We use the liturgy from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, which is interesting. Now, yeah. I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong no, with that. I'm with it's, you. A, it's beautiful. Sure. If a, you know, if a family does that, fine. Yep. Yep. But still, we have this sort of almost mystical sacramental yes. view on the one hand. Yes. But on the other hand, and this is where the book goes, and this gets even more into our redefinition topic, marriage largely because of sec- the secularism that rose in during the Enlightenment— and then, because of the rise of democracy in America, which I love, I love democracy. I right. love capitalism. Right. These, these are, you know, from a governmental standpoint, great these are good, good yeah. things. Yeah. But we've democratized so much, yes. more than we ought to, yes. to the point where marriage is now viewed not as a sacrament, right. which it shouldn't be because right. it's not biblical. But neither is it viewed as a covenant. covenant right. It's now merely a contract. Right. And if it's just a contract. Then you can leave it. Yep. If it's not working, right. You can end it. Yep. And this is where it leads to the whole no fault divorce and all this sort of thing, all leading from this this redefinition from sacrament to covenant, mm. which again I think covenants where it ought to be. Mm-hmm. That's the biblical definition. Mm-hmm. Now to merely a contract. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about like I <clears throat> like I mentioned, you, you're you're kind of walking us through where 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 the where do these ideas originate from? Where we we began taking marriage less seriously. Yeah. And and seeing the state enter the fray really becomes a whole nother deal. I I, I look at this this more common day practice of the redefining of it 
uh, as something that that we get from from Derrida, right? Where where yeah. Jacques, Jacques Derrida, where where there's a, the, the deconstruction of language. Right. So language language and definitions no longer matter. Yeah. Um, what what marriage can mean anything? Where it once where it once was a was 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 sac, uh, sacramental, where where it once may have been covenantal, it's become contractual, and now that contract can be can be redefined uh, between anybody uh, who who decides that they want to enter into it. So so marriage no yeah. longer. Well, this is exactly right. And this is why I think things have have steamrolled ahead so fast recently. Because even when it was redefined during sort of modernism, the Enlightenment as a contract, it was there was still a, a, a objective definition. Right. What you're saying is now when we move into postmodernism, right. it's like well, what, it's whatever it means to you. Absolutely. There's not even there, we don't we don't even care about a definition. Absolutely. Anymore. It's just this fluid thing. Yep. And if, you know, if you want to marry your plant, right. Or a tree, whatever, or whatever or, it means yeah, to you, or, yeah, or or an animal, it, whatever it means to you, it could mean. And and so yeah. I, I think that this this began with with the Obergefell decision, where we were trying to examine whether or not uh, two men or two women uh, should have the benefit of of being in a union that we call marriage right. and and identify as such. And uh, you can call it over the window, you can call it slippery slope, but but it always leads to something. And the yeah. argument, even even back then, uh, before the Obergefell decision, was no, it's not going to lead to anything. Yeah. Uh, it's not. There's no, there's nothing next after this. Uh, it's just going to be, you know, a, a man and a man or a woman and a woman who want to get married. Their love is love. It, it doesn't hurt anybody. So why should there be right. any kind of a problem? So that was the kind of line of, of argumentation that was given. The, the reality is what they were asking for was not equality. Right. What they were asking for was they wanted special rights. Yeah. Right. Even even if you look at it from a contractual standpoint and the benefit to the state, the benefit to the state is that they get children who then become taxpayers. Yeah. Right. Right. That's the that's the state's benefit. Yeah. Uh, that that and, and and the state saw that that there was a need to protect uh, husband or or, or or women in particular, uh, men and women who get married and are in this relationship. And and there's the idea of the protection of children as well. Right. With two men and two women get together, there's no additional benefit to the state. Uh, there's no there's no next generation that takes place. So so how are we hurt? We've re, we've redefined uh, a marriage. Uh, we've made it something that it is not, and no one else benefits. It's only a, it's only a, a self absorbed benefit to the couple that unites in the tax benefit that they get to experience think, as a result. I think that's exactly right. But it's and it's almost even worse than that because you think about it before before that Supreme Court decision. It's not that it was illegal for a man to live with another man. Right. It's not that it was even there. There were even on the books uh, civil unions and other sort of contractual agreements, sure. wherein same-sex partners really got all of the same rights and privileges You're of exactly a married right. couple. You're exactly right. The the whole their whole agenda was to force a redefinition of this term. Right. They they were not satisfied with, yeah. We, we, you know, we got the rights. We can we can we got we got hospital rights. We got tax benefits, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Which we can talk about that. I mean, whether or not that should have even happened. Sure. But the fact of the matter is, it did. They had all those rights, but that was not enough. Right. And of course, we've seen since that decision, it's only got worse with transgenderism Absolutely. and all this sort of stuff. Yep. It's spiraling because it's not enough just to have quote unquote equality or rights. Right. They already had that. Right. Right. Nobody was arresting anybody. Right for a, a same-sex relationship. Right. They wanted to force a redefinition of a term that was not theirs to redefine. Right. In fact, it is God's to define. Absolutely. God is the one who defined the nature of marriage in the book of Genesis. Yeah. And 
that has been the definition of the term ever since then. Right. In most civilizations, yeah. certainly in the West, certainly in America, uh, it was it was far more like you said. It was far more than just a desire for equality. Yeah. The thing that the thing that that really chaps me, and and this has been the case with with all of the the LGBTQIA plus movement, is is the adoption of 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 uh, of rights or freedoms or or even civil rights attached to uh, the black community. Yes. Right. Uh, this this decision for the new civil rights. Ab- it's, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. yeah the, 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 well, well, gay is the new black, right? Yeah, right. And so, so when you when you have that, you what you do is you you attach to the to the disrespect for marriage act called the respect for marriage act. You attach to it the idea that somehow uh, interracial marriage is at stake. Right. Uh, when no one no no one. You know, no one, no one cares. And I, and I think a, a point you made in a, in a previous episode was we, we are one race. Yeah. Uh, I make the argument that there's, there's no such thing as interracial marriage. Right. It's just marriage. Right. Uh, if, if you want to call it inter-ethnic marriage, there may be people who ha- who have the same level of melanin Unless in their skin. Unless you're on Star Wars or Star Trek, there's right. no such thing as interracial marriage. Interracial marriage, marriage. Yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, you, you may have two people with the same level of melanin in their skin that may be, that may be connected to different ethnicities. Right. You know, as some, someone who looks like me, uh, I, I'm black, may have my same shade, who may be Hispanic. Those are two different ethnicities. Right. And so the, the issue of, of, of interracial marriage is, is actually a, a misnomer, but it's attached to this bill. Why? For the purpose of if you oppose the idea of, of same sex unions, well, not only are you a homophobe, uh, yeah. you're also a racist. Right. And, and so th- th- that's that's the whole idea behind why they put these kinds of things together. Yeah. It's, again, an, an effort to, to deconstruct language. Uh, it's an effort to, to, to say to call things that 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 are things that they're not mm-hmm. uh, in an effort to push an agenda forward. And so that's kind of where where things have, have, have stood with this. And I, it, it's, it's really unbelievable that we've gone in this in this way. Yeah, and I mean we as Christians especially, we we cannot buckle on this. And yes. like like we alluded to earlier, it is a tragedy that now we have men and women certainly who claim to be conservative evangelical Christians yeah. who are writing articles and saying things like, well, Obergefell happened, people they're, they're married. Right. And are we going to take that away from them? Right, right, right. And our reply is, no, they're really not married. Right. They are. They are legally unified, and they might have put that label on there. Mm-hmm. But are we going to? Are we going to uh, waffle on biblical doctrine mm-hmm. and God being the one who defines marriage simply because of a Supreme Court decision? Yeah, what what would, if we had done that with abortion? Yes. 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 What? What do you? What? What is the motivation for something like that? What? What? What would motivate a pastor to, to Absolutely abandon what's clear in Scripture yeah. uh, for, for the for the purpose of appeal. I mean, what what what's the well, motivation? I think it's you know we've seen this sort of redefinition of loving your neighbor, mm-hmm. being winsome, right? Redeeming the culture for right. Christ and right. all of this, and I think it falls under that, right? Yeah. There, there's this. It sounds pious. Well, we want to reach these people, and we're not going to reach these people if we come across as homophobic, right? Well, I, it's not that we hate. People who right. who um, maybe have those sinful tendencies, right. but to not call it sin and to buy into the redefinition of of a term like that—that's yeah. actually not loving. Right. Anything that goes contrary to the law of God is unloving to our neighbor. Yeah. So it, it. I mean, ironically, it's all about redefinition. It is. Right? It, it we, is. They're redefining marriage. These Christians, so-called Christians. They're willing to redefine marriage because they've already redefined what it means to love their neighbor. Mm-hmm. They've already redefined winsomeness and all of these terms right. uh, to mean something that 
you don't find in scripture absolutely. and you don't even find modeled by Jesus and his apostles, certainly yeah. not the prophets. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Can I recommend one book along these yeah, lines? Absolutely. We're yeah. talking about Christian standing. Yeah. Um, you know, again, my job is always to promote as many G3 books as That's I can. Exactly. Right. Uh, but this is a wonderful book, the conservative church preserving and transmitting biblical Christianity. It's written by pastor David DeBrain. Uh, David is a pastor in South Africa. And uh, this is, it, it's a readable book. Uh, it's very accessible, uh, but he talks about what it means to conserve mm. biblical Christianity. You hear mm. conservative, and you might think politics. Right. That's not what the book is about. The book is about preserving biblical theology, mm. biblical practice, and what he calls biblical orthopathy, which mm. I think is one of the best contributions of this. So we want to be orthodox. We want to have orthodoxy. We want to have orthopraxy. Yes. We want to live in accordance with the Word of God. Right. And then the category that he adds that really is in the tradition of, of many Christians who've written in, in days gone by is orthopathy. We want mm-hmm. to love in a way that's consistent with biblical Christianity. Of course, that ties right into our topic as well, loving Absolutely. that's consistent with Scripture. Absolutely. And so let me encourage you to uh, to take a look at this book, The Conservative Church by Pastor David DeBrain. Absolutely. Highly recommended. Yeah, I, I would I would tell you as well, as, as, as by, by way of promotion, one of the things that you need to do uh, this year is to get to a G3 conference. Yes. We have our, our national conference. And if you haven't signed up for the national conference, there's something wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you you've got to be there. Uh, September 21st through the 23rd, the national conference, uh, it's, it's going to be massive, man. We, we anticipate somewhere in the neighborhood of about 7,000 plus people there. You want to be in the place. Uh, it's going to be absolutely- Big family a, reunion. Big family reunion. It's going to be on the doctrine of God's sovereignty. And man, with all that's transpiring in culture, uh, yeah. don't we need a heavy dose of understanding that God is completely in control uh, of everything that we encounter and 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 uh, uh, deal with. And those kinds of things are important. You'll, you'll and, definitely and it's so encouraging, there. too, like what we're talking about. The culture is headed away from biblical Christianity. So many professing Christians are heading away from standing for truth. Yeah. It's just refreshing and encouraging to be in a place yes. with 7,000 yes. other people yes. who are standing firm. I agree. And this is the difference between watching a live stream or watching the videos after, which you can do, yeah. and you can benefit from the messages. Sure. But there is something like refreshing to the soul yes. to be in a place and feel like I'm with my people. Absolutely. And it can it can encourage you and equip you to then go back to your context yes. and stand firm. I love it. I love yeah. it. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, I wanted to I want to ask maybe a last question here related to to this issue. You talked about the the book about con- conserving biblical values. Uh, you know, a lot of folks get, get that idea mixed with conservatism. That's not what we're talking about regarding politics. politics right. Uh, but but as it relates to conserving biblical values, conserving promoting a biblical worldview, oftentimes I think the charge that's given is well you guys are just those fundamentalists yeah uh, you guys are just those, those fundies out there you, you, you you've gone off the deep end uh, and I know there's a varying degree of definition around that but how, yeah. how, how do we answer our critics with regard to yeah. that particular well, but issue? this sounds like this would be a great episode for the future right right what, what is fundamentals because <laughs> yeah. here's the thing that term right it's thrown around it's it's become sort of the boogeyman yeah. like you know you're a fundamentalist and there are some wacky fundamentalists yeah. like <laughs> yeah. there are there are some movements that have that are out there currently and have been in the past that call themselves fundamentalists, mm-hmm. uh, and they're pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And you talk about fundamentalist Muslims or fundamentalists, this yes. and that, right? Yes. But but I think what what we need to remember is the roots of the idea of fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. And the roots of the idea of fundamentalism said this: there are certain doctrines, biblical doctrines, that are worth standing firm for. Mm-hmm. The gospel certainly. 
But where the fundamentalists, the early ones, I'm talking about B.B. Warfield mm -hmm. and, and Tory and some of these guys, and even Machen mm -hmm. would fall into this category, uh, they, they were quick to say, okay, we got to stand for the gospel. If you don't believe the gospel, you're not a Christian. Right. But there are also other doctrines that are not the gospel, but that impact the gospel. Right. And they're important. <laughs> right. And the, the, the final point that sort of summarizes the idea of fundamentalism is we, we need to be willing to, to even separate from people who call themselves Christians, and they might even believe the gospel, if they don't stand for some of these high-level doctrines. We're not talking about, you know, how many angels can you fit on the head of a needle, <laughs> right. or who are, who are the sons of God in right. Genesis. We're not right. even talking about things like eschatology, right. or even Presbyterian versus Baptists, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. We're talking about high-level doctrines that impact the integrity of the gospel. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Marriage, right? Biblically speaking, mm -hmm. there is a very close connection between what God designed for marriage mm -hmm. and what he designed marriage to picture concerning the relationship Absolutely. of his son Absolutely. and his son's bride. Absolutely. So this is an important doctrine yeah. that we cannot back down on. Yeah. It's a biblical doctrine that's worth standing yeah, for. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that wholeheartedly. I think you, you begin to see this kind of trajectory, if you will, of of the acceptance of, of same-sex unions at some level. Um, you, you see that, you, you'll see that along along the lines of, you know, women pastors as well. I know that's a whole other so yeah. topic for a whole other day, but 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 you, you see this acceptance of women pastors, the acceptance of, of kind of the LGBTQIA plus kind of, kind of thought process, right. uh, and, and, then, and then it flows into the these other areas where what's happening is scripture is, is, is minimized, yeah. right? The importance and the impact of what scripture has to say about these subjects is minimized right. for the, and, and the thought process is, well, those are old and antiquated. But you undermine the authority of the scriptures when you do that. Absolutely. I, I have a low value. I have a low, low view of scripture. Uh, as a result, I, 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 I want to mold myself to what culture is embracing. Why? So that I can maintain relevance yeah. and speak to them. But if, if, and when you do get the opportunity, to speak to them, you're bringing them to absolutely nothing. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not bringing them anywhere. There's, there's no, there's no God. You've, you've, you've punctured holes through the gospel to the degree that there's no gospel to bring them right, to. Right. If, if they don't have to, if, if there's no change, there's no heart transformation. And as a result, a, a transformed uh, lifestyle as a result, what's the point? I can maintain what I'm in yeah. uh, and continue on and, and not have to worry about what Jesus said about any of this, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that, that, that's the big issue. Let, let me address one more objection that actually I think we ought to hear and might be a challenge for us. Sometimes you'll hear, how can you Christians be so up in arms about marriage mm -hmm when your own marriages mm -hmm. are not good right or when the divorce rate of christians is just as high if not higher than others right and and that's not a reason to to back down from defending marriage right but it is something we ought to listen to sure because the fact of the matter is that many christians have contributed to a redefinition of marriage mm -hmm. by even pre obergerfell mm -hmm. giving into accepting no fault divorce right uh, and 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 having bad marriages right. and and churches filled with 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 people who have not been divorced for legitimate reasons. There's right. all sorts of debates on what's a legitimate divorce, and that's you know that's a debate worth having. But but the problem is when you can get divorced for any reason. Sure, she burnt my 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 dinner. Right, therefore I will divorce her. Right. Uh, and so it, it, it's again that. That challenge or that objection is not a reason to back down on right, defending marriage, right, right. but it is it is a, a reason to give careful stock of our own marriages. Yeah. Are we working on our own marriages? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Are we 
teaching on uh, and and preaching on biblical marriage and what that looks like yeah. and 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 not accepting a sort of no fault divorce approach, no, and that's I, something we ought to we ought to listen to. I, I don't disagree. I mean, the same kind of argument is is one that's put forth in in the area of abortion, right? Oh yeah, it's right. it's hey, if, if you're you're not right. really you're not really pro life unless you're womb to tomb, right, 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 you know right. you you know you're you're making sure benefits are 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 given from from the womb to the tomb, and yeah. and and the, while I think there's there's value in considering how we care for those uh, who who need who need a, a social safety net, sure. uh, and we can argue those things. But to argue that I'm not truly pro-life uh, or, or that I can't really defend the pro-life position uh, unless I am and add, add you know, any other uh, political program or policy that, that you want to is, is actually flawed. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yes, we do want to examine how the church cares for those who can't, you know, can't do a good job of caring for themselves. I think there's there's value in that. I think that's exactly where the church should be. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we don't back off of a pro-life position right. or, or act as as if we're not truly pro-life unless it doesn't make any sense you're not you're not womb to the tomb pro-life so you shouldn't be pro-life at all right what, right. what it, it does, yeah, yeah absolutely doesn't mean but that's the argument those are the kinds of arguments exactly and the same right. things being said about about marriage, about marriage. you yeah. know if, if you if you're not if you're not in favor of of these kinds of things when when your when your own marriages are at right. fault then then you can't speak on okay so else. fine so let's let's not back down right. and let's work on our own marriages. absolutely absolutely Amen. absolutely same thing is true well it's great to be with you for this episode of the G- g3 podcast we're glad that you joined us tune in next time for the next episode